Hello everyone. I hope the recent crypto bear market hasn't brought you down. No one can predict what will happen to the cryptocurrency markets in the short term. However, the long-term development of DLT continues to expand into many industries, including healthcare. I think we need to figure out how to align NFTs with existing copyright and IP laws. And we also need to figure out how to align DAOs with corporate voting laws and governance. By listening to this podcast and learning more about these complex topics, you're really getting ahead of the curve. I appreciate all my listeners and community members, and as always, thank you for your support. On this episode, I had the great opportunity to speak with Talisha Shine, a leader in the blockchain consulting space and recognized among the top 100 black leaders in blockchain. Talisha shares her experience working at Cigna and Allscripts, as well as how Web3 will impact healthcare companies in the coming years. I really enjoy my conversation with Talisha, and I hope you do too. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is Talisha Shine, a certified blockchain expert and consultant and founding member of the Black Blockchain Consultants Group. Uh, she has been recognized among the top 100 Black leaders in blockchain and was selected as a 2021 regional delegate for the National Briefing of Women of Color in Blockchain. She's also an editor for the Blockchain and Healthcare Today Journal. And it's great that she's also been with Cigna for a number of years and at Allscript. So this will be a very interesting conversation, mixing blockchain and healthcare. Talisha, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm well, thank you. That's how great. Are you? I'm doing well, too. I'd love for you to share just a bit about your background to the audience so they kind of have a sense of who you are, what you've been working on in your career. I am Talisha Shine. Thank you very much. And... Um, I am a native of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, very proud of my city and definitely my team. I have been in IT for about 23 years, so that seems like a very long time when I look back at that and quote that number, but it's been a, a lifetime journey and it still remains that. Uh, I began school going as a chemical and mechanical engineering major at Penn State University, which I always find very intriguing because in 1990, everybody in my whole class seemed to be wanting to be engineers and none of us are engineers at this point. but. <laughs> That also speaks to, I think, the technology aspect. I've always been a science math person and really enjoy that aspect, but didn't really find the, the niche uh, that I needed to find where I came into technology. And so that's why I think it's an interesting journey to get to the path that I'm on right now with specifically healthcare and blockchain. That's interesting. We kind of share a similar background in that I also have a chemical engineering degree, but I don't practice engineering currently. So I think that's a common path people take after engineering school. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious about your experience at Cigna and Altgrips. 
Can you just share some of like the work you've been involved with at those companies? And maybe just for some of the audience members who don't know what those companies do or are, can you just a little bit about them? Sure. Um, in November of 20, uh, it was 2009, actually, I began working at Allscripts, which is an EHR firm, which is Electronic Health Records, for those of that are not familiar. And they have an open source product that I worked on called Touchworks. And it was an enterprise product for uh, clinics and hospitals. And I really began my digital healthcare career there. And it was it was a kind of a mind-blowing shift. You kind of know what you don't know <laughs> immediately. And it always grows. And I think that particular experience dealing with um, open source kind of code was very informative because, again, it's like, how do you design something that everybody has their own unique way of using? but they still have the intent of of what they want, but they're going about it in very different ways. And I had a myriad of clients that were, you know, tenacious in their pursuits. And it was right at the time the Health Tech Act also came into. So there was a, a rush to make sure that they were compliant with electronic health records being instituted, which some of that was, you know, I would say tug and pull. A lot of the providers were not happy with that and going to something unknown and new and technical was just definitely above their, like just their, impetus. And they were like, no, I don't really want to do that. And this is so hard. And why do we have to do it? And it was just that constant reiteration of what they were going to get out of it. But getting to that point was really, really hard. And I think that was um, something that really stuck with me as dealing with the providers and dealing with the individuals who were using that software, as well as patients. Like, what did that mean for them on that side and how that information? So I kind of just like went all in in that and that was for about six and a half years. And then I switched all the way over to the case install with Cigna being an insurance carrier so that I got the full scope of the healthcare diaspora from one end to the other. And case install is very important. I don't really deal with providers as much anymore, but I do provide that in- insight into what they were looking for, what information is now missing and necessary for those plans to come together and really be effective for both, again, the, pr- the patient as well as the provider. That's awesome. Yeah. And I agree with you. Sometimes introducing new technology to providers is not really something um, they're happy about. There's a lot of change management required and for good reason, right? They have a system that works. And when you do something new, there's always some problems with it. So that makes sense. It's always, you know, you can explain the value of something a million times, but until the person actually uses it for themselves and feels the value, uh, you know, it won't matter until then. So, well, technology is very much a vocational aptitude. <laughs> you can explain it all you want and you can say all the bells and whistles, but until someone sees the value from actually experiencing and using it and what's in it for me comes into full fruition for them, they won't get it. And that was really one of the challenges was that it seemed like this was not going to be that. It, everything about what I said just seemed to be the total opposite <laughs> when we went through implementation. They're like, I have to do this now. And I used to just only do that. And it was that constant reiteration. Like I know getting over this hump you'll get to that part. So it was always that, you know, kind of forward thinking that I think also comes into the same conversations with blockchain. <laughs> it's the exact same formulaic kind of conversation. Like we got to do this just to get to that part. And you'll see the benefit only until we do this little part here that's uncomfortable. Right. And speaking of blockchain, what sort of led you to the cryptocurrency blockchain world? How did you first hear about it? And what was your first impression? 
2016, I kind of heard about it and it was just like that, you know, digital currency is what I heard. And then in 2017, I really started to pay much more attention because at that point in time, it was just everywhere in my circle. Everyone was talking about it. And while I appreciated the, the application, I really wanted to understand what the true infrastructure was. Because again, as a technical person, I'm responsible for not only implementing, but then fixing whatever is broken. And I need to know where it comes from in order to do that. So I kind of read the the Bitcoin white paper and that was the solvent part of like, yep, this is it. And now I have to find out everything I need to know about blockchain as the infrastructure that supports this application that everybody is really, uh, you know, hyped about. Right. And then like 2016, 17, kind of uh, the ICO bubble craze started picking up and people, you know, were paying attention, you know, finally are Initially right. paying it was attention. that conversation. I think those are those nice hot conversations. And it's like this new thing, but this new thing had such a wide, you know, a wide array of people kind of interested. So that was also the eclecticness. There were so many people that were talking about it from very divergent aspects, but they kept saying it over and over. So like, there's something to it. Now we have to investigate a little further. And so that's where it kind of took me. And that led me to actually co-founding the Black Blockchain Consultants, because again, everybody's looking for information and it was hard to aggregate. The internet is a wonderful place, but it is also, you know, you can just get lost in finding the information and what does the information truly mean? So we needed a way to have a conversation, but we had to level set what the conversation was because everybody was just everywhere at the same time. Yeah, you make a good point in that there's a variety of different kinds of people that are became interested in the blockchain world. Initially, it was the, you know, crypto enthusiasts, maybe some technologists, but eventually economists came in and you had lawyers and there's a whole world of people now, including artists that are interested in, in blockchain. So, and that'll continue to grow, I believe. Tell me about starting the group Black... Blockchain Consultants. Blockchain Consultants, yes. So again, it was around that 2017, finding people who were having the same conversations, but critically asking the same questions that I was like, well, what is it? And where do we fit? And being that the Black community is always such an interesting part in the sense of like, when things come, especially from a technology standpoint, we're usually the laggards in the adoption and also the creation. But it also seems that we proliferate it and make it very popular. So we were trying to find a way to truly explore this from our perspective and giving us ourselves like, where do we fit into it? So that was, again, the impetus of the of the group coming into that. And it was really just like, how do we educate? Because we knew we had to do the education, but also, again, how do we fit those skills and show people and kind of give them a roadmap to where would you like to be? How do you want to participate? What's in it for you? But where do you want to be? And asking those questions, because it was just, again, a, a kind of a sea of information. And everybody's like, oh, I just have to do this. I'm like, you don't have to do anything, but you want to do it very methodically and with some straight strategy behind it, not just kind of throwing yourself in there. So that's where the group kind of started. And we just grew and grew to a point where it was much more formalized. And we had conferences. We did a wonderful practicum with SimpaChain, where we had an on-hands vocational application of learning how to, to code smart contracts which I always think, again, going back, it's a vocational thing. People can understand it from a theoretical, but when you start to really, you know, put fingers to the keyboard, then you get it. And they're like, oh, this is this is what a smart contract is. This is how it comes together. And these are the pieces that I need. So those kind of things were really helpful, I think, to make people see how the variety of um, attributes come together and where they would actually be able to fit and use the, their current skill set while they're applying it to something new. I mean, that's great. I think that, you know, giving the people the opportunity to do some hands-on work like that and facilitating all of that, 
I mean, that's a contribution to the community. So that's, that's really amazing. And it was fun. It was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> Jane was just phenomenal and they're doing some great work right now. So I'll give them a little shout out as well. Sure. Um, actually, one of the things I saw in the community was uh, Isaiah Jackson, who's the author of Bitcoin in Black America. I felt like he also helped build the Black people in blockchain community as well. Have you have you read his book by any chance, or have you like yes. um, volume one and two? I'm an owner, yes. Um, and I do think that that's a very solvent aspect to again showing people what what's in it for them. And I think Isaiah has a very interesting way of really laying out that roadmap of again being historically you know excluded from everything. Why the appeal of Bitcoin specifically and cryptocurrency as a whole really appeals to our community as 23% of us are participating in this because there are so many obstacles in our current systems. And this just seemed like maybe this is a great way for us to level set. Maybe this is something that now, you know, it has some barriers and some obstacles, but they're still the ability and what they project to us give us the hope that maybe perhaps that we can do something different. And again, just level set where we are at this point because of the, you know, the wealth gap is truly just, you know, mind boggling at this moment as we sit in 2022. And where do we go from here? What do we do? And we know the world is changing so dynamically and rapidly. How do we do that? And I think his books really do speak to a plan and give people the understanding of what is to come and what they can do now to prepare for that. Yeah. And that's what I love about Bitcoin and blockchain is that it is an open source system. It's an open source network and anyone can join. So there is no barriers to entry in a way. So I think that's really amazing. And many communities, you know, minority communities are benefiting from from Bitcoin. And we know we're trying. I think at this point, there are some obstacles and we don't want to, you know, think mm -hmm. think it's a a utopia going into it. Not just yet. It's hard to make a wallet. It's hard to keep up with your private keys. But those obstacles still hold the promise of what's better. So you're willing to put forth that effort in order to reap the gains of those things. And I think being that our systems right now are very much restrictive and just totally inhibiting. Every turn that you take, you get another one. It's like, okay, I solved this problem. Now I got another one and another one. And so moving through this system, I think our participation is really critical because not only is it new and ground level, at this point, we can have a say. And I think our voice in that, and that's the equity piece that comes along with blockchain, with Web3 and Web3.0 is the aspect of equity in how we move through the things that we do and how we contribute. Everybody wants to have a part of something and people want to participate, but it's like, how do I participate and get something back? What's in it for me comes up over and over again. And we've never really had the answer to that. We've only had the, just give it here. And if you want to participate, you just have to follow all the rules. That becomes that, you know, now we have to have a conversation before it was just, you know, a monologue and you just do it or you don't. Yeah, well said. I totally agree. Um, And I think, you know, you mentioned equity. I think that's very important in the, financial world, but also in the healthcare world too, health equity. I think um, minority populations in the black communities has also historically been um, not you know, treated fairly, I think, uh, by the healthcare institutions. And I think blockchain creates this opportunity where everyone can be treated more fairly because there is this requirement of transparency in many aspects of blockchain. And you know, I just find that really important to, to talk about and for people to understand, because that is part of the value proposition, right? It is that transparency. So, you know, as a consultant, you've worked with, I'm sure many clients for 
different projects and advise different companies. What do you think are like the biggest challenges that some of your clients face? I think it's the overwhelm is one of the biggest things. They know they need to do it, but have no idea of how. Or how even where yeah, it's just this like, it's this thing. And it's, I think this would probably go back to when people were talking about the internet, like, oh, you need the internet. And people are like, but why? Why do I need that? People come into my store, people patronize my business this way. And so it's really understanding that, using that saying, like, I know I need to, but how do I do it? becomes really the strategic part and getting all that information again. Like, do I need an NFT? Do I need my own token? Do I need everything? It's like a bag, of, a mixed bag of everything. And I tell them it's not. Uh, I would say Samson Williams always says that, you know, blockchain is not hot sauce. It doesn't go on everything. And that is so very true. It's that there are bits and pieces and there's a whole other way of doing it. But those wave tops just get people all kind of geared up and they don't know what they need. They just say, can you just give me, give me everything and just do it, just do it. I'm like, I'm not Nike. I just can't just do it. And we have to have that conversation of where do you want to go? This is not something that you just plug and play. This is something that really needs to think about where you are right now. And also where do you want to be in the future? And how do you want your business to run? And so that was always those questions. They always think I'm going to come in and talk about the tech and I never talk about the tech. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're always like, "Why? where is that part of the conversation? I'm like, that's the last part of the conversation. We have to talk about your business model. And they're like, oh, okay, like, how do you, what do you do with your data? Do you even know what your data does? What kind of data do you have? And they just are blown away by those kind of questions. But I always start there. It's like, we got to start at the beginning before we get to the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also a matter of FOMO in many cases that these companies are you know, have this fear of missing out. They don't want to be the last ones and miss out on an opportunity. So, so they want to be the first one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody they wants to be first. first and nobody wants to be last. It's like, well, you got to start somewhere to participate. <laughs> For sure. And it's often the the risk takers, the early adopters that can benefit the most potentially. So that's it's interesting dynamic. In terms of regulations, and I know you're close to the DC area. So you've probably been around a lot of regulators, politicians to some degree. Uh, How critical do you think regulatory alignment is within the industry? I think it plays a role. And this is anything else we have to talk about it. Everybody wants to, you know, the the maximists want to talk about it being a utopia and everybody participating. And that's just not our reality. We do have to take what we have and move from that spot. And regulation is definitely going to come along for the ride. I think the impetus for us is to inform them as best as we can. And this is where the education also comes in. There's a large portion of just a control sensibility. Like no one wants it to be like the old system, but we forget that we have to take some of those parameters and actually move them forward. So we have an opportunity to kind of bit and piece our way back to uh, something that works for everybody, but that we can't just tell them that they can't participate because that's not logical. And they're not going to let the control go. So we do have to find a happy medium. But I think it begins with having better dialogue and not starting from a power position, just starting about, again, I'll take back to the the EHR, what you get when you actually implement such structures, rather than talking about how hard it is to get there. If you start with that end in mind, uh, these are the things that we get. Now, how do we reverse engineer that and get as close to that as now as we step towards that is a better approach. But the regulation is critical part in the sense that it's going to have to be there in order to maintain some stability, um, hopefully not inhibit, because that's usually what happens. Innovation happens in a very, I would say, kind of 
chaotic manner. <laughs> they're there as boundaries, but I let's say like parenting, you got to give them enough room, but not so much that they harm themselves. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I think they have a pretty tough job, the regulators, because they have to find this balance between protecting people and citizens and civilians, and then also making sure, you know, they're sort of getting a piece of it as well. So they're not missing out on the whole picture. But instead of the way I see it is instead of, you know, government trying to get a piece of this growth, maybe, you know, adding to it and then having the whole pie grow even further. I think that's another perspective to take. And I think there are, you know, forward thinkers. There's many politicians that are, you know, pro Bitcoin and pro blockchain. And I think that small community is growing, which, which is interesting to see. We'll see how it all plays out. So let's go talk about healthcare a bit more, because I think that's an interesting and whole other world outside of Bitcoin and finance. Although, of course, they are related in a way because you can't have healthcare without value transfer. That's basically so much money being spent on the administration of a value transfer in healthcare. And being at Cigna, I think you have some idea of how that works. So how will blockchain impact healthcare, both short-term and then long-term? So the healthcare industry is a very interesting and dynamic place to be in anyway. I think, again, the pandemic showed us some very hard lessons that we kind of understood it's like, you know, kind of a broke system, but you didn't know how broke it was and you were trying to uh, stay safe, but we knew that it was broken horribly. And I think the impetus for me in 2017 was to truly find a way to link blockchain. I understood at that point in time what it was and what the capabilities of, but how did it really impact healthcare? Like, how could it make a difference? And there were a lot of conversations in it because, again, as an infrastructure, Healthcare always is looking for something new and improved. It knows it has its own problems, but it has a hard time trying to solve them. Everybody's coming at it from a very different aspect. Um, they really want to hold on. There is a siloed approach to it's mine and I don't want you to have it. And that collaborative effort um, with the aspect of transparency was a little frightening and a little, you know, just overwrought for most people when you talk about blockchain and the, the benefits that came with it. Instantly, that was the the pushback. Well, oh, we can't have that. That's not HIPAA compliant. That's all I heard all the time. But I think people really got to see when we started to move it through and say, these are the benefits, again, showing that how that we could connect things. And then we saw in, with the pandemic that we needed connectivity. It was the biggest thing that everybody kept saying, like this problem. Yeah, like I don't know what's going on and I need somebody to help me and I couldn't reach out. How do I do this? You know, from a billing perspective, how do we bill for something, you know, that doesn't have a location? The episode of care happened in some random parking lot. How do you do this? And everybody, there were so many questions and like, oh, if I only had, and that was the key part. I keyed in on that's the key. Everybody kept asking, well, how do we do this? What would be the one thing if only I could? That's where blockchain came in. It answered all those questions so succinctly and people started to listen. And so as we move through this, that's, I think what, what happens is we have to make, you know, we have to acknowledge the problems, but we also have to really be advantageous about what are the solutions to those problems rather than just reiterating, oh, woe is me and these, all these things we know, we know that already and we have to move forward. Yeah. And, you know, in healthcare, there are many use cases or applications that blockchain could help with. Are there any specific ones that you find to be maybe most like lowest hanging fruit versus some that are more visionary and you know might take some time to actually be c come into fruition? 
I think credentialing is one of those low-hanging fruit. It's very simplistic to do. Um, we have most of the information to do that. And what, what a wonderful thing. You could instantly see the ROI of that because we've seen where we have to deploy healthcare providers to areas and that credentialing, how that bottleneck just truly inhibits everything from working. We, ha- we cannot get these people to do what they were supposed to do. And they're just like, oh, this is not my, my priority is to tell you all about my education and where I'm certified. All of that could be done so just expeditiously. And that would be something that we could instantly prove and show like this is this is solvent. This is something that's great. And we can move on now going from like my current project, which is a telehealth delivery in the metaverse. That's a large undertaking but it still works within the program. Uh, We have these things. We currently have telehealth and it became really prominent as we moved into, you know, throughout the pandemic. But at this point, how do we do that better? So we've already done it. It's like now just take it to that next step. And so those are those kind of things where I think, you know, surgical aspects and those other, you know, kind of behemoth things that happen (laughs) in those aspects will come full full circle with having some of that. And again, we forget that it's just an infrastructure. So we always want to make it like it's not this whole entire thing. You don't see a lot of this. You just see the ramifications of it. So we're practicing medicine and healthcare in the same manner, just with better resources that bolster that, that care. So I think that's where we look. I always say it's like a house. You don't instantly go view a house and open up all the cupboards to see the plumbing. You don't care. You just want that beautiful kitchen and that wonderful master bathroom. <laughs> that's what you're looking at. And so to me, that's where really blockchain just gives you the, the tools to do what you're doing better. But it's not something that's going to, you know, overtake and override you because you should really just be able to do what you do and then, you know, just have the better results because you have the information at hand. You have the things that you need to go hunt, go forth and do a better job. Sure. And that goes back to what you said about when you're working with clients, you're not initially talking about the technology, you're talking about the applications it has and how it affects their business model. And that's extremely important. Um, You also mentioned that provider credentialing is probably one of the lowest hanging fruit. And I agree mostly because it doesn't require any patient information. So there you can skip over that regulatory hurdle. Um, And, you know, I watched a recent uh, show, I guess it's like a docu-series show on i guess netflix or something and it was called uh, dr death so i don't know if you watched it but it, it's about this neurosurgeon who was practicing surgery and medicine in texas and going around to different health systems but he was a terrible surgeon hurting and often killing some of his patients and he was able to go to different health systems and get a job i don't know how he was able to do this but i guess you know this happened maybe 10, 20 years ago, technology to fact check or make sure that he was his experience matched what he was saying was was true. I feel like that could have been prevented. A lot of patients' lives could have been saved if we had more transparent information about what providers and how they work. Yeah, all those false doctors. I mean, we've had a series of those over the years. Um, even when I worked at Allscripts, that became an issue with regard to who has performed, you know, this the service. And I think so many times we just miss those little critical pieces that would be just instantaneous if we just had a system that said, is this correct? Yes or no. And we always miss those kind of things. Even with technology, we're still, it's the criticality of the data and the accessibility of it that really come into play because it's like that somewhere that was reported, but you just didn't have access to it when you needed it to make that just critical decision. 
Exactly, exactly. Definitely a good use case I am watching. There's a bunch of companies providing those services. Um, one that comes to mind is ProCredX. And I, I know um, Leah Houston has a company as well in that space. I've interviewed both of them. So for anyone who's interested, check that out. How do you think blockchain is empowering minorities who are unfortunately often underrepresented in healthcare? I think there's a, a few ways that we are making progress in this area. It still has a long way to go. But again, I think like just telehealth has been very helpful with regard to giving access where previously there wasn't. There's a lot of hospital closings, a lot of clinic closings, and they're typically in our neighborhoods. And working with some of those and just being able to have access. That's a really strong point for most of our, you know, just being seen, being able to have a diagnosis, being able to have some information is really important. I think as we move through the blockchain space, this will be something again that, you know, one record (laughs) doesn't have somebody else's information. We have this problem where we're not listened to, our problems are not aggregated correctly. Um, There's a whole lot of information that is not data driven. It's just kind of superfluous information. Whereas if you had a blockchain, that information, that truly that data that belongs to the patient could actually go with them. And so they wouldn't have to have that, oh, I got to repeat myself 50 times. Um, You're not listening to me because you're just looking at me and and dismissing me. All of those things kind of help with, again, having the access to the information for those patients to be seen and also to be able to support. They can feel the need and empowered to go to, you know, to seek out medical professionals that do listen to them, that have that, you know, that know what to do with the data that they provided them. Yeah, no. So I just want to echo you and say, you're right. I think empowering the patient by letting them actually own their data and then by owning it, they can take it to another provider so they can um, not have to sort of repeat, fill out those forms all over again. And yeah, that's an important part of this, I think. And, And patients, some patients want that but I feel like some don't care. Are you? Do you agree that there's many patients who actually don't really care about money? <laughs> don't know. Mm. And this is one of those. So it's an education thing, right? I think again, the 21st Century Cures Act is really important, and most people kind of just like, oh, okay, new legislation. It's really impactful in the sense that we get access as patients in real time to our own data. Now, what do you do with that? Most people wouldn't know what to do. Like, where do I put it? How do I use it? We don't have enough information about the data that's been collected on us, but everybody else monetizes that. So when you really go back to it, it's like, this is yours. This is what you do with it. This is how it compensates you. We have to have those conversations and no one talks about that. Um, especially in the medical profession, in the sense that you really don't even feel like you're being heard when you go. You're just asked these, you know, obligatory questions and you're almost like herded out <laughs> out of the whole point. So you don't feel like you even know what has happened. You're just trying to, you know, get feel better, do whatever, and get out because this is not a good situation. So again, the dialogue in the medical profession is that the patient does need to be a part of their own care, where right now they don't even feel like that. And then to, what does your information do? What did you just have in this transaction? Because again, this is where we don't understand what this this interaction was. It was truly a transaction. You've given someone something. That data is critically important. You don't know that it is. That's why we have to inform you. And then what happens after that? It's not, oh, I just get a prescription. I go home. I feel better in seven days and go about my life. We have to now really have an informational session about your data is critical to you what is happening to your data and how does that truly impact you 
that's the conversation I think that, you know, we need to be having and we'll be having very shortly because the legislation is there and people are going to have to do certain things about it. Even if it's just the, here's this pamphlet, read it, you know, you have to now be informed of what's, what's happening in the, in the data. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's this trend happening and people are, have been talking about it for many years where healthcare is becoming consumerized and we're, we're entering a phase where we're focusing on the individual and creating a delightful experience for the consumer. We're still a long ways away from you know reaching that point, at least for the majority of the population. I'm sure there's some um, maybe more uh, wealthy people who can afford that sort of experience. But I think using technology, we can bring down the cost that everyone can kind of have that consumerized and personalized experience in healthcare. Um, can you imagine, you know, having you know, an individual really owning their data, understanding their data, and then being able to act upon it and feel like they're the ones in control versus feeling like they're just sheep going to this herd and the doctors are doing what they have to do based on, you know, health plans, requirements, and standards of care, getting that individualized attention that they really, I think, deserve. Yeah, I think this is a critical moment. And I think this goes back to the evolution of the internet. I say like web one, we just digitized everything. That was really the whole thing. It's just make it digital and get it get it to a computer where we became sophisticated consumers in web two. We did understand that we had the accessibility and that we could purchase things. I think that changed us and made us much more like, oh, I can comparison shop. Before you just didn't know what you didn't know, so you just took whatever you got. And in that that training, I always say we went through a whole series and decades of training with Web2 that consumerized us and made us very much proactive. But now that we're going and kind of migrating into Web3, this is the change that we want. We're moving from consumerism to ownership. And that ownership really does give us responsibility, but also gives us a different sensibility of how we move because that interaction changes when you're just like, oh, I just have to go and, and do this because I'm the consumer and they're the provider. The minute that you go in, is like, I'm a business owner. I have equity. I have assets that you want. How do we both make this work? How does this contract work? That changes everything from the sensibility of, I just have to, to this is what I'm choosing to do as a business owner for my better business. <laughs> like that, that changes that and gives us, I think, equity, but also that ownership conversation truly changes how we view anything, all the transactions that we have, digital or otherwise. And I think that's the biggest thing that I'm, I'm hoping that people recognize and that we have to do a better job of explaining because that does take time and education to get to that point. It does. And just like the internet took time for people to adopt, you know, the first maybe 10 years of the internet becoming in the consumer space was, uh, you know, spam, scams. No one wants to trust putting their credit cards on any website because they can get stolen or, or whatever. Um, no one would sell or buy anything online because it could be counterfeit. But now, you know, Amazon and I trust things I buy online sometimes more than uh, in the store. I mean, it depends on where and what it is, but yeah. But yeah, it, it takes that time, I think, the evolution of that and the adoption. So there is now we have a little bit about that, I think, where we've been educated through Web 2 of how to do certain things. But now it's that a little shift. It's like, just don't check the box anymore. Just give everything away. Now you can negotiate. That's where we have like, you have a choice. And what does choice breed with you is that comparativeness, that really asking questions. What's in it for me? How does this work? What do I get in, in return? 
now the dialogue really starts to happen. And I think that's the exciting part for me, particularly with Web3 and integrating that with healthcare. Awesome. There's a lot of younger people uh, that listen to my show, either students or young professionals. What advice would you give uh, younger people that are searching for their communities in the space, still looking for their right uh, group of you know, friends or collaborators? I would say this is this is a general for everybody. It, this space is really wide open. And I always say, go where you were celebrated. Um, we always look for discord, but in the same sense, there's a lot of group think. And you don't want to always go just where the minute that you say yes, it's great. But the minute you say no, you're kicked out. <laughs> You really want to have dialogue in these spaces. And so finding, you know, being curious, and I think is a great way to start, but also understanding that not every community is for you. I always say, do not campaign for congeniality in these places. You will find what you're looking for if you're really authentic and show up and and have that curiosity. Not everything is going to be, yes, everybody's going to agree, but there's a way to have that discord and to even have dissension without it being, you know, kind of disruptive and crazy because we have to learn. This is brand new for all of us. There isn't any expert. <laughs> We're all kind of piecing this together. And the more input that we have, the better it will actually be. I think this is where coming as a Black female into the space and I'm a Gen Xer, my viewpoint on things is very different. So when I interject something, they're like, oh, I never thought about that. I'm like, of course you haven't because you're not living my life. You're not having the same experiences. There's still value in that as we collaborate. And I think if we move through that, looking for communities that really have that collaborative aspect where you do feel like you're seen and heard, but also that you can have an input and that that's valuable to them, not just like you have to agree or else. We need to really have that collaborative efforts and finding that. And that is it's not always easy, but I think it's necessary and it, you need to have the tenacity to kind of go through that process. Right. And, and that like contribution through um, like diversity of thought, you know, diversity of ideas, it's really important because that'll ultimately create a more robust network or system or, or community and can adapt to new information or new things much more easily. So I think it's really important. And I know you're very active in Discord as well, like the actual chat application. You're part of Distributed Health and many other chats and groups. And I encourage anyone who isn't on Discord or is looking for that community, check it out. Um, do you have any specific places where you think people can sign up or, or join the chat? Yeah, I love distributed health is great, especially if you want to understand where what happens right now in the healthcare. <laughs> we have such interesting conversations and there's such an eclectic group of people there as well. So I always say that's a great place to start. But just find, I always say, be very exploratory um, and, and the curiosity will lead you to certain places, but definitely survey and have a, a benchmark for yourself moving through those spaces. Because again, you do want to be somewhere where you feel like you can contribute and it be good for you, but also not to have to campaign and always prove yourself. And I said, having that, uh, what I consider those awkward conversations that just never seem to, you're like, oh, well, I have to just agree to be here and, to, and maintain myself and don't lurk. <laughs> like, please contribute wherever you do and wherever you go, please just, you, you're, you're valuable and your inputs are valuable and we won't make progress until we do have those kind of dialogues. I kind of go back to consensus health, um, I participated in their hackathon in 2020. Great, amazing uh, teams came together uh, to work on, you know, COVID protocol to make sure, you know, some solutions. And it was wonderful to see all of those, you know, amazing projects come. As I said, like I sit here 
as a Black U.S. woman. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. Your your project is wonderful, but it has the ability to be weaponized. And they were like kind of shocked, taken aback. Like, I, I don't know to understand what you mean. And like, that's becoming one of those things where code lives forever, whether the problem is solved and we move on with our lives. We forget that some of these things have ramifications far beyond the, the current situation. So that's where we have to really understand that why we need to have diverse thought is because we see things very differently. And as we're having this immersive experience, as Web3 is promising us, we need a 360 view to touch, to hold, to move it around. And you get to see it from everybody's perspective. And that's just not a myopic, this is what we think is great. And we're going to go full, full front to head and giving everybody an opportunity. We're not always going to, you know, come up with the best, but we're all, we're, we can do better. And I think that's why I always encourage people don't, you know, shoot for it has to be this. We have to make, concessions, but we do have to make progress. And that's what you really should be looking towards to do. Making sure that we incorporate all these ideas, it does take time. So that kind of speaks to why, you know, blockchain and healthcare, you know, hasn't already happened to the fullest extent. That's why it takes some time. But, you know, that time is is being spent thinking through these possibilities and dangerous possibilities sometimes by using, uh, you know, cryptocurrency or, or blockchain. So, you know, it's, it's not an easy task. So it's important it for and people to... It's always, uh, I see this is the one part where technology and other areas, it's great. People, I always say like Microsoft is a wonderful thing and they iterate, you know, you get your updates for your iPhone every month or so. That's great that we can make those things come out. But with healthcare, it has to be right from the very beginning. We cannot have some of these missteps where, oh, we'll just put out a new code in next month. <laughs> you know, you those updates for us are very different where we have to get it right from the start. So that is why we take much more time, but we can move a little more quickly, I think. But at the same time, we do want to give very strong considerations to all possibilities. And this is not just an area where we just, oh, let's, let's see how it goes. We have to really understand where we're going. <laughs> and make sure we're doing the the requisite testing and whatnot, because that's where the regulation comes in and we're dealing with people's lives. So that's, um, you know, people always say, well, why can't you just be? We, we're we trying, we're taking some of the best parts that we have, but we do have to be cautious. And I think that's necessary. And that's the part that I'm like, you know, tech should supplement. <laughs> we can't just eradicate everything with a tech solution. Right. And some tech people that are coming into the healthcare space, they're, they're trying to build things fast and break things, but it just doesn't work really in healthcare. And I think they eventually do get that. So it's a hard lesson, but um, yeah, it is what it is. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. For years, we've been seeing healthcare technology companies gobble up confidential patient data. Then they go through the process of removing certain identifier data points from their records to be able to sell the remaining data points to researchers, marketers, and anyone that's willing to pay for the data. Unfortunately, as many of us know, once the data sets are sent to a third party, it can be combined with other data sets to re-identify the individuals and target them directly. This is what happened when one of GE Healthcare's largest customers linked GE's confidential patient data set with outside insurance claims, financial details, 
prescriptions, and other information. According to a Stat News investigation published recently, multiple companies were involved in this complex web of transactions that turned patient data into lucrative business deals. Quintiles, now known as IQVIA, Medica Logic, which was purchased by GE in 2002, Veritas Capital, which acquired and then sold GE's medical records business as part of a larger deal worth $17 billion, were all part of this elaborate unethical use of patient data. I quote, the commercialization of medical data has exposed gaping holes in the 26-year-old law known as HIPAA, which pledged to keep patient health information private, but put healthcare organizations in control of its use. The law lets those businesses sell access to patient data as long as they remove or obscure certain information, such as names, zip codes, and birth dates. Once data sets are de-identified, HIPAA gives private companies wide latitude to buy, sell, and mine medical information without getting patients' permission or cutting them in on the profits. A quote from Bradley Malin, a privacy expert and professor of biomedical informatics at Vanderbilt University said, It created an environment with limited oversight. And now with every app download, website visit, and social media post, Patients are creating even more data that private companies can buy and use to shred HIPAA's protections. Data privacy protections are only as good as the technological policies that can be enforced in the entire healthcare ecosystem. Using blockchain technologies can give patients real ownership of their data and can help solve this growing problem in the industry. Our data is not like oil which gets burned and cannot be reused. Our data is an extension of ourselves which can be reused and increases in value as more data is generated. People need to stand up for their right to their data. Otherwise, we will continue to see examples like this from healthcare companies. You can find a link to the full article in the show notes. And now let's get back to our conversation with Talisha Shine. I have some personal questions for you. So I appreciate, you know, you walking us through the black uh, community and blockchain. But for you, do you have a favorite business leader in history or now that has influenced you? Oh, there's so many. I think there are, you know, a few specifically in the in the blockchain space that I really enjoy. Um, Chris McFarland started Patientory. And that was a very interesting issue back in the ICO days and raised crazy amount of money in a very small amount of time when when that was the project at hand. So I think she's one of those ones that I look at and like she's still trailblazing even up to this day. Um, Angela Benton is another that I really appreciate just her ability to be always in the front forefront. She's always there moving and her her uh, company Streamlytics is amazing. And again, dealing with data. How do we really kind of get our hands and head around the, just the amount of data that we see and um, how does that impact us? And so she does a wonderful job of that. So those are the two right now that I really just, I always appreciate them and really look at, look up to them. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. What habits do you have? That stay active and healthy. 
before the pandemic, I boxed every day. <laughs> so that was one of the fun things. And my daughter, who is a wonderful gymnast, I used to work out with her. Uh, she's a college student now, so I don't see her every day. But my active day is just moving about and keeping active. I'm a Fitbit fanatic. So I love my Fitbit for <laughs> forever. I won't even take steps without it. So those are those kind of things. I'm conscious of every little thing, but to just be mindful and to, to put those impactful things together for me. Uh, Cigna is one of those wonderful companies that we have such w- great wellness incentives. And so I'm always kind of, that's the competitive edge. They tap into that really psychologically so well. So I'm always trying to race my, you know, my coworkers or do certain things. So we keep active <laughs> even at, even remotely. Yeah. I think there's that trend, right? People are starting to get used to this idea of being monitored, you know, their health being monitored, their heart rate. Uh, I use a Garmin. So I love when I do run or work out, I love having it on. So I kind of know, you know, what, what I'm tracking. And I also recently tried the the Levels glucometer patch on my arm. So I'm kind of like testing that out for the first time. Uh, it's only been a couple of days. So I would love to say, I, have to, I would love to hear your experience with that. That's that's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't really hurt. So I, I thought maybe it kind of prick, but I don't really feel it. I kind of forget about it. So that's a good thing. What is your favorite book or maybe a book that has also influenced you? I have so many. <laughs> I'm an avid reader. So yeah, books are are always wonderful right now. The business of blockchain is like my Bible. (laughs) The real business of blockchain is is the book that I have read from probably 2017 up. And it just is that my current reference. I always say like everything is coming like, and the book says, and the book says. So I would, if you ever get a chance to read the real business of blockchain, take a look because it, it just speaks so succinctly to business modeling. How does it work? So it talks about the tech, but really from the business model inside. So that's my my biggest one for every for everybody in your audience to read. Thanks for sharing that. Can you share a personal experience you had with a health related issue or an illness or an injury, and how it influenced your perspective on the healthcare system as a as a patient? As a patient, I've been a consistent patient. I was diagnosed uh, with asthma, chronic asthma, at the age of two. So I spent a large amount of time in the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. I I love them so very much. I thought that's why I was going to be a doctor. Um, So I got a different, I would say I had a really good experience with with healthcare for my formidable years. Um, And then in 2002, I actually had one of those adverse kind of experiences. I went to have my daughter. I was sent home and 22 minutes later, I had an eight pound child in my bathroom by myself. And that is what experiences that people sometimes I'm like, I was educated, I was able to communicate effectively and still was dismissed in the midst of, you know, active labor. And it was just simply a nurse who just didn't want to be bothered with me. And she told me to leave the hospital and I did. So, but those ramifications are really since like, you know, you think about it, my daughter was born healthy and happy and I was okay, but that's that's a good result. That's a happy ending where many of us don't have that. And specifically with maternity, you know, one in four Black women die. We have a high mobility rate in this particular aspect. And we understand that, that that's just from critical care. That's nothing that's, you know, biological or anything wrong with us. This is, that was a kind of the wake up call. Like we really need to do better. And you know, sometimes you have to advocate, but in those moments when you're not able to fully advocate for yourself and I had my partner with me, it was still like, 
why, why did this happen to me? And it took me a long time to reconcile that. And even when I, I wrote a story about that, that was actually published with regard to having that episode happen. And you're just like, what, what could I do differently? And then you kind of internalize it. Like I, I did something wrong. And then you recognize the story after story of women having that kind of experience. And what do we do about that? And I think that's another reason why healthcare for me, I'm not, I don't shy away from the, the bad parts. I understand that they're there, but I do really true advocate for change and for it being better for everybody to include myself and my community. So I always say, it's not like I'm just serving us. If I'm serving us, I'm serving the greater good as well. So that's kind of the thing that I always look at. Like we're, we're connected and healthcare is one of those critical aspects to us that when we are in the deepest need of care, how do we do that without, you know, without a barriers? How do we do that, you know, compassionately? Wow. Talisha, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. Um, that's for being so personal and open and transparent about it. I think that's really amazing for people to hear and really appreciate what really is going on. I'm sad that you had to experience that kind of scary situation. I'm sure you were like freaking out or, you know, I can't even imagine. Very calm but, and she was so cute. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm glad it was a, at the end of the day, it was a good story. Um, you know, everything worked out okay. Um, but like you said, that doesn't always happen to everybody, everybody's situation. So it could have gone a different way. So very happy to hear that it went well for your situation. And, you know, overall, I just want to thank you for this conversation and what we discussed today. I think uh, there's a lot of people that will pick up a few bits and pieces of our discussion and take that with them on their journey through healthcare and blockchain and the new Web3 world. And I think it's important for everyone to have these conversations and continue to to think about the different aspects where Web3 blockchain interact with healthcare and how we can improve not just the technology things, but the business problems, the experiential patient situations that could be improved with this technology. Do you have any final thoughts or final things you want to share with the audience before we conclude here on this interview? I'd say that the very strong part of this is that it's not technical. I really want to inform people that the technology is here. It's kind of like the last thing. What we really need to do is to really expand what is possible. We really need to do that deep thinking of how do we make this experience better? People always, always say, oh, if I only could, or, you know, I always do it differently just because it makes it better. Those are the things that we really need to have conversations around. We can make a solution, but we need to know that that's the problem, that there are these things that aren't kind of making it work for them. And people do need to have a, a voice in making sure that they're heard and like, this doesn't work for me. And not as a complaint, but truly as this doesn't service my needs, this doesn't really, you know, address the issue. It kind of creates other problems for me. Having those kind of dialogues without, again, all the, the instant kind of defensiveness about it. We really need to have that. And I think that's why we all need to participate. So it doesn't really matter if you're technical or non-technical. Your voice is really important and you do have very solvent ideas to how we can make things better. And that's what we're really trying to do. Awesome. Talisha Shine, thank you so much again for your time today. Yeah, just thank you. Thank you. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen 
and subscribe. Thank you.